morning to those of you that are visiting from out of town, maybe on this holiday weekend. Thank you so much for taking time to join with us, and I hope that you feel welcomed here, and I hope that you're able to come back again. This morning, you find us actually at the end of a series. Uh, the Red Letter series has been looking at various commands of Jesus Christ, and we've been doing that this summer, and then actually a good launching uh, board into the next series, Commissioned, as Pastor Scott addressed earlier, and this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. If you have a copy of the scriptures, please turn there. Matthew chapter 9 will be in verse, starting in verse 35. And uh, we're going to be looking at Jesus again and what he has to say. And his commands are for our good, aren't they? Our protection. So let's ask the Lord again to teach us, instruct us, pray with me. Our Father, as we come before your word, we ask God that you would teach us and instruct us. I bring nothing but you. I have nothing to offer but you. I know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified and resurrected. As we humble ourselves before your word, God, I ask if you'd be pleased that you'd give every person here one thing, that you would touch each heart, that you would call those to yourself that are not yet in your fold, that today would be the day of salvation, and for those, Lord, that boldly proclaim Christ, that they would be encouraged, equipped, challenged. God, give them something and only you can change a life only you can torque a heart and so god we invite you and ask you to do that and we pray these things expectantly because we know that you love to come through we love your word we pray these things in jesus name amen matthew chapter 9 verse 35 is where we find ourselves today as we conclude this series i'll read for you as you follow along Chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. A short passage, for sure, and Christ does all the teaching for us. So it's an easy passage in one sense, but the hardest because it requires living. It requires some doing, like all his commands do. So to preach it is easy and short, but to live it is something different. And considering Christ and all these things is even the hardest thing. See, whenever you're reading through the Gospels, it's appropriate to compare yourself to Christ because he is the benchmark. A lot of times we do this with other people, moms to their moms, fellows to their fellows, or whatever, your favorite star athlete or whatever. That's a loss. You usually are winning because you put yourself against the people that aren't as good as you, or you're always losing because everyone's better than you. The point when looking at the Gospels is looking to Christ, looking at Christ. In fact, the Scriptures tell us, the Apostle Paul writes to a church that he helped plant in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, be imitators of Christ as dearly loved children. Like children imitate their parents, the good and the bad. We are to imitate Christ, who's all good. So it's appropriate this morning as we consider these few verses to think of Christ, to look at his style, his approach, his call. In fact, when I'm doing um, my time with the Lord, I'm working through the Gospels, I'm always thinking to myself, I want to see what Christ sees, I want to feel what he feels, do what he does, pray as he prays. With whatever way that God wants to do that, through me. And so we're looking at these scriptures, we're considering these things to be imitator of Christ, as dearly loved children. Let's look at the first few verses again as we get to the command. Verse 35, it's easy to skip because we want to get to the command, but there's so much here. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. 
Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Stop there for a moment before we get to the command. We see here that Jesus is ministering to the crowds. And if you've known anything about Christ, you may know about that, that he is with a lot of people, person after person, crowd after crowd. Think about the lives that he touched. Think about the energy and the strength it would take to do what he did. Think about his endurance. No wonder he had to break away with his father from time to time. Think about what it would be like to give of yourself moment after moment. I think of the people in our church that are our nurses or our, our school teachers. That's a big calling. There are a lot of demands on you. And yet Christ is nonstop in his ministry, constantly being called on, feeding 5,000 men and their families here and 4,000 people, men and their families over here, dealing with people that want healed, people calling out to him to heal them teaching and teaching faithfully in the synagogues, which is like their local church, and saying hard things, things that aren't popular. Think about all the giving he does, and think about what other king. The scripture tells us that, the, that Jesus, that by him and for him, all things are created, and yet he's the one that comes and serves. Healing this person, and then another. And this guy wants his son healed, and this person wants their mother-in-law healed. Over Then the disciples, the twelve, and they're not easy. <laughs> they're not easy. They have other agendas in mind. Over and over again, they're being pressed by the religious leaders. They're always seeking to trap him, which goes wrong for them, usually. Actually, every time. But they want to push him to tell back to him that you're not who you say you are. Think about the defense that you would put up to that. Jesus is just so not us, and yet we're called to imitate him with whatever gifts and abilities and talents the Lord's given and attributed to you. To imitate him. Verse 35 would be easy to skip because it's normal for us to expect this of Jesus. But just pause for a minute and think about three years of earthly ministry where it's perpetual requests and constantly giving of self. Yet when he saw the crowds, the scripture tells us that he had compassion on them. And Jesus reveals this compassion then through his ministry to people. The word compassion uh, carries it with it the idea of the original readers would have understood this word um, to give a picture of to, to being moved in one's stomach with pity. His compassion is then expressed in his being love. Compassion is a, a form of love to yielding to another's best interest. This is Jesus. This is where that fuel comes that his father tells him to do and he does. His father tells him to speak and he does. And the energy and feel to come to that comes from this great love, compassion. The Father so loved the world that he sent a son, and the Son so loves these people that he has compassion on them that he serves them. How many of them will actually follow him? In the upper room when Christ ascends in time, and he's about to send out his disciples, there's only a few hundred. Where are the thousands here and the thousands here? Giving of himself no matter what. So Jesus has compassion on these people. It's an expression of his being loved. Think about what you know of the scriptures. When did Jesus show compassion? Do any scriptures come to mind as you've read the gospels for yourself? I hope. I think about the woman who washes Christ's feet with her tears. He has compassion on her to receive that. The woman who empties out expensive perfume, he has compassion on her to receive it. There's this one guy one time, uh, he used to really like defraud people and steal from people. He was a tax collector for the Roman government. And Jesus says he's going to go hang out at his house. I wonder what Zacchaeus' wife thought about that. Hey, honey, we have guests home for dinner. Okay, that's cool. Who is it? Uh, Jesus, have you heard of him? You probably should have called. 
I think her name was Brenda. I'm not sure. Zacchaeus and Brenda. There's a lot of people in Scripture, when you look at it, that Jesus is, it's every person he engages is with compassion. Even last week, we had a guest speaker last week, Pastor Matt Schofield from Fellowship Raleigh Church, and he was looking at a popular text of Jesus engaging with a man that was wealthy and religious. And the man wants to know, basically, like, are we close? Are we the sames? What, what else do I need to do to get into heaven? Jesus says, well, how the command's going. I do all those, which is then a lie. The text then says, and Jesus loved him and then told him the truth. Over and over again, we see this. Jesus is supposed to go to Jerusalem in time. He's already told his disciples this several times. And this is what's going to happen, he says. And one of his disciples, Peter, said, that's never going to happen to you. We're going to make sure it never happens. And Jesus turns to him. Oh, Peter, get behind me, <laughs> Satan. Oh, Peter, Satan's asked to sift you, but I've prayed for you. Why doesn't he just cut him out of the team? Compassion. Who are the kinds of people that Jesus has compassion on? You think about it. Who, who is that? When you look at scriptures, it's the people that are clean on the outside and dirty on the inside people. And also in reverse, he has, he has compassion on the abused and the abuser in scripture. He has compassion on the secret sinner and the fake saint. He has compassion on the material rich and the spiritual beggar. Basically, every person he engages. It's a form of compassion. How do you think Jesus views you? See, somehow I adopted in time that when I'm doing good things, then Jesus is proud of me. But when I'm naughty, I'm on suspension. Praise God I'm wrong. That's how we treat people, by the way. How do you view others? See, here's where the tension comes. When we're looking to, to Jesus as in comparison to what life ought to be like as a believer, how do you view others? See, when I look and think about who I'd have compassion on, in fact, last night I saw this video, it might have been on Facebook or something, and an old friend posted an infant that had pertussis. Okay? Now, I've had pertussis as an adult. If I get it again, I'm in, I think I might, I might go crazy. It's called whooping cough, the 100-day cough. It goes, you spasm, and you can't breathe for 30 to 90 seconds. I remember waking up the night, coughing. I would pound in the bathroom, sick. there's nothing I could do. I tried to preach during this time. Yeah, infants get it. It's easy to have compassion, that little one. What about those that cause harm? I heard recently, uh, this past week, that there are people that are praying for people in ISIS that someone from them would come to know Christ and then they would reach other people of ISIS. Like someone, like Saul, who used to kill Christians. Now he gets this whole transformation because God engages and invades his life by the power of Jesus Christ. Paul yields his life to Christ. He goes from Saul to Paul and now he starts ministering to people. Someone's been praying for that. What about that? That's incredible, right? Think about the people that Jesus has compassion on. Think about how do you think he views you? Answer with compassion. How do you view people? And how do you view the the terrible people? How do you view the the people that are hard to work with? How do you view the people that are hard to deal with? How do you view the people that are been the most trouble for you? Jesus has compassion. And I wondered this week, how can Jesus and I see see the same person but see something completely different? The answer is because his kind of compassion is not natural to us. It's a form of God's love and God's love comes through Christ to us and then through us. It's something to be prayed for. You can start praying for that. That the Lord would allow his compassion to be seen in your life and how you view others. 
Give me a love, Father, that can only come from you. Jesus saw the crowds and had compassion on them, the scripture tells us. And this is how Jesus could say then while dying on the cross, have you heard this before? Father, forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. And who is the them? Is it simply the ones that put him on the cross? Is it the ones that are calling for him to be on the cross? Is it about the friends that abandoned him at the cross? Is it for you and me in 2015? Anyone have an answer? Yes, is the answer. Ten points for you. Yes. That's an evidence, a form of compassion. So if Jesus was moved with compassion for people, moved in his stomach with pity, do you think that we should be moved in the same way? See, it gets scary when we start comparing ourselves to Christ as opposed to other people that aren't as good as us, isn't it? We could ask the question as good Bible students, why is Jesus moved with compassion when he saw these crowds? Look at the Bible again, verse 36, part B. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What does harassed and helpless mean? Well, the words used here actually depict a picture. The original readers would have had a picture in mind, a picture of a sheep being torn and mangled by beasts. Abused, destroyed. That's how Jesus sees these crowds. See, this is what happens to sheep when there's no uh, protector, provider, or leader. And why would Jesus see these people then as sheep without a shepherd? What is happening in their lives that caused Jesus to see them in such a way? Well, I'll tell you. The people who actually were politically, religiously, physically, and emotionally bullied, abused, oppressed, pressured, helpless, unable to rescue themselves from the Roman oppression and religious oppression. They could not escape their tormentors from within or from the outside. The people were under the opposite of Jesus-style leadership. They were sheep without a shepherd, a sheep that were mistreated, and even including the sheep that mistreat other sheep. That's how he sees them. That's how he sees you and me. So the needs of the people were great, weren't they? The people's spiritual needs were, were even more desperate than the need for a physical healing. Jesus, Jesus, son of David, give me sight. And Jesus not only gives one kind of sight, but then he gives spiritual sight. I once was blind, but now I see. When you see crowds in your context, where you're at, wherever you're at, do you see them for their great need? Or do you see like the real thing happening there? That's what, that can happen when we ask God to give us eyes to see people as he does. When the scripture says that the crowds are like sheep without a shepherd, it's not lost on me that this illustration might not connect with us in our time because most of us aren't shepherds. Anyone occupation shepherd here? No? Some of you have goats and chickens, I'm sorry. I don't know why you do, but you do. It's for the good. But this is an illustration that would have been personal for the reader in this time. And although it's hard to look at our friends and family and strangers in our area, acquaintances, as sheep without a shepherd, it's really just an illustration that 
like sheep, people run away. They're starving spiritually. They get lost. Sheep do all these things and they die without tender care and leadership. These people were wearied and helpless creatures, you may have in your translation. And we know that, and there's a lot of teaching about it, that sheep are dumb and don't know what they're doing. In fact, I thought about sharing a video with you this week, but for those of you that are very sensitive and passionate about animals, which I can't relate to, I feel bad about it. It's because of sin, I'm sure. I was going to show a video of these sheep that are on this cliff. It's like this, and there's no person with them. There's no lead thing with them. There's no sheepdog with them. And they're trying to go down the cliff. And one after they just fall. Now, I do have one problem. Why wasn't the person who was videotaping it dropping the recorder and going into helping? That's weird. Here's a little tip for you all. When you see tragedy coming upon you, don't say, oh, i got to put this on YouTube. Go help. Okay? But you know what? I can find just as many videos on YouTube as people doing dumb things, jumping off of buildings and testing themselves and pushing themselves. We're not that different, except for the fact that people are image bearers of God and have intrinsic value, separate than animals, and yet Jesus sees something quite similar. People are lost. People to be pursued. They're harassed and helpless and being mistreated in every way. Have you ever heard someone use the term sheeple? It's usually used in a derogatory manner, applied to people of political or societal persuasion different than that of the one who's putting that term on people. It's usually used when people think that they're better than someone else. Like they're outside the system. And they call everyone else sheeple. When people use it, they usually think they're above others. The Bible uses the term sheep in a very different way. These sheep, people, are lost people to be pursued. And it is everyone who is not yet found. I have a couple of the scriptures to share with you. They're not going to be on the screen. I just really want you to take them in. If you're someone that likes to write notes, you can write these down. This is Matthew chapter 18, 12 through 14. Just looking at sheep shepherd stuff from Jesus Christ here. Maybe you know this one. This is Jesus teaching. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? It's a rhetorical, of course. And if he finds it, I tell you the truth. He is happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. So people are sheep, and Jesus is a shepherd. In fact, he says this about himself in John chapter 10, verse 11. I'll read it for you. John chapter 10, starting in verse 11. This is Jesus teaching about himself. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd or owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is the hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one can take it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So people are sheep, and Jesus is the good shepherd. 
People without Christ then are without the good shepherd. Do you see them like that? They're sheep without a shepherd. Now the people that you know in your life that don't know Christ yet as their Savior, as their, as their Lord, as their good shepherd, may not seem to fit the description of being beaten down and torn apart in your mind as Christ has in his mind, but there has to be a, there's a problem with perspective there. Because we're not seeing them. If we see them with the eyes of Christ, that's exactly how we'll see them. We'll recognize them as, as sheep desperately in need of a shepherd. And we read it earlier in our time of worship, and this is all on purpose. Here's what Jesus has to offer as a good shepherd. Do you have this one hidden in your heart? Psalm 23. I'll read it for you. Old and New Testament. See, some people have the view that God of the Old Testament's wrathful and the God of the New Testament's all loving. Same God. Here it is. Look at this. The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus Christ himself is the Lord. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, your protecting agents, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me, even in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. I am refreshed and full by you. Surely, goodness and love, mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That's what Jed spontaneously led us in this morning. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is what Jesus has to offer. It's that shepherd. And when Jesus sees a crowd, this crowd included, he sees those that are helpless and in need of a shepherd. And he offers himself. He says of himself, I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. I'm giving it away. So people, no matter how good or how bad, have no hope without Christ. No one can know them the ultimate meaning of life. They cannot have um, a peace of heart before God without Christ. Therefore, Christ has then compassion on people who were like abandoned and abused sheep. And today it's the same, isn't it, loved ones? People are as sheep, not having a shepherd. So what does Christ have to say? Back to our text. Look at verse 37 in your own Bible. This is all laying the foundation for this command. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Stop. Jesus now gives a very different metaphor. We've been talking about sheep shepherd, but then Jesus switches it up as he's speaking to his disciples, looking at the crowds with the compassion in his heart as he sees them. People are not only like sheep that are in trouble and need a shepherd, but they're also like wheat that can be gathered, a harvest. The harvest then is the spiritual harvest of souls unto salvation. One thing I was wondering about this week is this. Why are there so few workers, as Jesus says? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Jesus said it. Why is that true? Why is it the case? Well, in this context, if there's only the 12 or what other, other disciples there are at that time, it'd be true. But it's so small in comparison to how great the need is. In light of the harvest that is plentiful, there's only a few to do the work. Look at verse 38. The command now for our red letter series. Ask the Lord of the harvest, so pray to God of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So the harvest is plentiful, and there's not very many workers, especially in light of how big the harvest is, and people are without a shepherd. 
And that's why then Jesus tells his disciples to earnestly, your translation might say, earnestly, um, sincerely, persistently, passionately pray for workers to be sent. The instruction to the disciples and rightfully applied to us today in our context is to pray that God would send out more workers, send out laborers, disciples, all the same. It's interesting that workers are supposed to pray for more workers, but oftentimes we pray for those that we don't know Christ. But do you ever pray for people to go reach the people that you want to see reached? Why would God instruct workers to pray for more workers? Answer. God has willed that in his miraculous work of salvation and harvesting be preceded by prayer. Every great, great awakening in America, at least, has been preceded by prayer. You can look this up. In fact, Wikipedia boldly proclaims this truth, and Wikipedia can never lie. In New York City, this person had a passion for prayer. and want to see people reach, but just started with passion. And he starts out the prayer meeting, and uh, no one's coming at first, and slowly people come in. And in time, 50,000, then 100,000, so much so that in time, people are putting clothes for the prayer meeting for the prayer hour on their businesses. Talk about a city and a hill. What's happened? What is encouraging here about prayer is that Jesus is affirming the fact that believers' prayers participate in the fulfillment of God's plan. So could it be, is it true of Selfridge that we're a prayerful people? Maybe individually, so what about collectively? What about in our groups? So Jesus tells his disciples to pray that God would send out more workers. Well, what are workers? And our whole next series is going to be talking about really the job description of a worker. So I invite you to come and bring people with you. But every job that you've had has had a job description. I think about the jobs that I've had in my past. My first job ever was a putt-putt golf manager at age 15. This was in Michigan, and I was too young. I wasn't like allowed to get paid in money, so they paid me in these coupons I could use in the candy shop. <laughs> That's where the money was coming anyway, so it doesn't matter. My second job was a dishwasher. My third job was a weed puller. The job description for that one, it was, what was it? Pull weeds. That's what it was. <laughs> Onion factory bagger. That was a tough one because I was the only one that spoke my language. And I think people were talking about me because all I heard was, yo, 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 I also then at one time loaded trucks that distribute racks of flowers to all the Target stores in the Mideast. Middle West, I mean. I was a ditch digger. That job description was a lot like weed puller. I taught geography for a year. I'm sorry to the students. And I also, was, um, I also got paid one time to do puppetry and drama. That's a wholly different story. See, you, you want to flop the top, you want to drop the... Well, that's another... Lots of jobs and lots of job descriptions, but the one that matters most to anyone that calls himself a disciple of Christ is what is a worker? What is a disciple? Because we need to know what we're doing, and that's why the church is supposed to equip believers to do the work of the ministry, not watch a few folks do the work of the ministry. And yet that's what's common, and that's what makes Jesus right. Even in 2015, the workers are few. The command in our text is to pray that God would send out workers. And what, what could a worker then be? How can we make it simple, a job description simple? It's basically this. I would say it's quite simply this. Imitating Jesus with a heart of compassion, and this shouldn't sound new, connecting people to Jesus for life change. That's a worker. 
Now, you can go and lecture people and harp on people and present the gospel in such a way that there is no compassion. I think the best job description is, with the heart of compassion, be like Jesus and connecting people to Jesus. Not yourself, not another organization, to Christ for life change. When have you worked with a heart of compassion? I mean, I know that all of us have, most of us probably have worked for money. Like you did a job you hate, but it was what was provided to you, so you did it to provide. Some of us do jobs out of trying to please other people. I understand that. I can be like that. When have you ever worked out of a heart of compassion? Because this job description is going to be tough. If you try to do it on your own, you've got to have Christ come through. And you can pray and ask him to help you, and he will help you do it. When have you ever worked, I'll ask again, from a heart of compassion for people? As a nurse, lawyer, as a stay-at-home mom or dad, whatever. Because we all know what it feels like to work with someone that's not working from compassion, right? And we wish they were compassionate. Have you ever thought that they thought they wish you were compassionate? The command in our text is to pray that God sends out workers so as to reap a harvest. What then is our need in our context right now? Here's some statistics for you. The U.S. Census Bureau of Raleigh-Durham-Chapel Hill Combined Statistical Area had an estimated population of 2,037,430. This was in 2013. When we moved here in 2006 to help plant Southbridge, 700 people were moving to Raleigh a week. How many of you lived here long enough that Briar Creek didn't even used to exist, but you were here? Anybody? It exists now, doesn't it? 12,000 people in this area pretty soon. 500 people were moving to within this movie theater, five miles of this theater, a month in 2006. So now we have over 2 million people in the surrounding area. And I was looking at, well, how many churches are in our area to reach those people? And I was clicking, and I found a list, and I got to around 1,000, and I stopped. Now, not all those churches proclaim that Jesus died and rose again, that he is the way, the truth, and life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. So let's say 1,000 do and 1,000 don't in our area. And the average-sized church in America is 90 people, which makes Southbridge considered a large church. But let's say the average-sized church in America is 100 because of math. A thousand churches, let's say they've reached 100 people. And let's say, let's pretend that all 100 people are workers, which isn't true because we know that people gather at Southbridge that aren't in Christ yet. And you're welcome to be here. Our prayer is that you know Christ. A thousand churches that have reached 100 people is how many loved ones? 100,000 people, right? That means there's still 1.9 million people that may or may not have a relationship with Christ right here. Now, not to mention that North Korea is sending missionaries like crazy. Koreas are sending that. Asia is sending missionaries like crazy. India, China. America thinks they're big missions people, but in comparison to the rest of the world, Nigeria is sending like crazy. They're praying for like 15,000 pastors to start like 10,000 churches soon. It's crazy. And God's working. Underground church in China's exploding. Did you know that people, Muslims are getting saved in Africa right now? They're like hungry for the word of God, for the truth. And the Lord uses it, it illuminates their minds and they say yes to Jesus. They can't even refuse his grace. And we got 1.9 million people right around here. And I don't know how many churches preach the gospel. Is there work to be done, loved ones? So why don't we pray? 1.9, maybe, probably more. Starting in your own homesteads with those babies. 
moms with those kids. What have you prayed for God to rise up more people to be about the business of reaching people? Connecting people to Jesus, harvesting people into the fold of God's kingdom, the kingdom of the good shepherd. And you know, maybe you've prayed for relatives. Like we, I, I pray to God that he would send somebody, my family has tried, to my grandmother-in-law. I want her to know Christ. I pray to God that if the Lord doesn't want, if he's not going to use me to reach my kids with the gospel, Lord, please send someone that will connect with them and bridge kids right now, happening right now, God, reach them right now. It would be more than they can bear if they didn't know you. Praying for workers. And then, of course, considering, are we, the, are we working? So we're going to pray. We're going to spend some time in prayer. We've got time. We're going to pray that the Lord sends, that word means um, to push out or to drive out workers. We're going to do it right now corporately. So I'm going to give you a few minutes. I think Jad is going to come and just play for us and um, I'm going to give you a few minutes and where you're sitting if you if anything has struck a chord with you this morning you can pray out loud right you are if you're sitting with family members or group members that you love you can pray right there with them you can pray out loud you're allowed we'd like to be more interactive than we are but this scenario how we are is for spectating we want participating so you can pray you can pray that God would send up more workers workers from us that he'd prepare hearts ready for this next series that we'd learn about working and that we'd be ready to work that we'd reach more people that our city would be like a lighthouse you can pray for the churches in our area that proclaim the gospel. Please pray for Summit and for Providence and for Journey Church and Vintage and Imago Day. All the ones that you know proclaim the gospel, pray for them that they'd send out workers. We happen to be on the same team. You know, before we do that, I just want to tell you that the next section of Matthew chapter 10, it's really cool because then Jesus sends out the disciples. Isn't that cool? So it's not just talking. It's doing. Wouldn't it be like for us if Southbridge, if the people of Southbridge were so filled with God's spirit and understood his word because knowledge is a part of discipleship and then move, acted. That's the point, isn't it? So let's pray. Spend some moments in prayer. You can stand, you can pray privately, publicly, whatever. And then in a few moments, just a few moments, I'll come and wrap up our time, okay?